Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Welcome to everybody that's joining us online. Uh, We're glad you're with us, and welcome to everybody here. So we added more chairs, in case you can't figure it out. So if you sit in the front, you need to wear glasses, something with a... You know, no. We're going to put the pulpit back up a level, so hopefully the spit won't go that far. (laughs) If you're watching online, you have no problem at all. (laughs) If you do, it's supernatural. Or somebody's messing with you, one or the other. (laughs) Uh, No, but what we found is is that um, it's just easier to do this to accommodate uh, continued growth. What we've actually seen, what I've watched, because I watched the attendance, you know, um, is that people, uh, if they don't have a place to sit, they don't come back sometimes. And it's not a, you know, we're not afraid of it. We just, you know, they can come back or not. <laughs> but we just want to make it available and comfortable for them. So that's why we're doing it. So invite extra of your friends. It'll be great. Let's go to James 5. James 5, we're praying for rain. Next month I'm going to have Mark teach on rain during vessels, so that'll be next month. He gave me this word a while back, and I want to read it. Um, I'm not, I'm preempting, Mark, so you can use this as much as you want, since you were the one the Lord gave it to, but uh, the ground has been tilled. This was given to me January 7th, I think, right? Is that right? Somewhere in there? Yeah. The ground has been tilled, prepared, and made fertile. The seed has been sown, and the water of the word has caused it to sprout and grow. Now the seed has matured and the season of harvest is upon you. The season of the harvest rain is here. Just as in the natural realm, the conditions on the earth and the conditions in the sky reach a point where rain is produced, so it is in the spirit. The atmosphere created by righteous, hungry hearts is colliding with the atmosphere of heaven and the result will be a downpour of spiritual rain. Not a sprinkle or a drizzle, but the overwhelming deluge of the rain of my presence. It will saturate the ground, overflow the boundaries meant to contain it, and become an uncontrollable flood. It will wash away the pathways and structures that the enemy has used to hinder and distract. He will be incapacitated, hindered in his function. For some, the flood will be inconvenient and troublesome, but for you, it will release a source of supernatural energy. Like Elijah, you will outrun the chariots of opposition, leaving them to flounder in the flood. If you listen with your spirit ears, you can hear the increase in the volume of the wind of heaven. If you tune your spiritual senses, you will be able to smell the impending rain. Be ready for the suddenly, because you are standing in faith without warning in an instant, in a moment when you least expect it, out of nowhere it will manifest." What has been available will now become reality. Because you have stood in faith, been faithful and steady in the process, you have reached the point of no return. (laughs) I love that. Get ready. The rain is here. Okay. So I know sometimes people think, and it can can come across this way, kind of in uh, our circles maybe. Maybe it's just me. Um, but word of faith circles or whatever that people think they can just uh, automatically do certain things. But 
<clears throat> it's not that God withholds from us in the sense of he doesn't want us to have it because that's not the issue. It's that there's timing on things. And sometimes he's waiting for us to increase, to, to mature um, in our own spiritual development. So like the Lord will ask us to make certain changes in our life. If we make those changes, he's able or what you, you actually gain access into greater graces. Okay, so what does the scripture teach us? That the humble have grace increased to them, right? So people will say, well, I have a gift, and they'll try to, uh, it could be in any area. You know, um, I would say, you know, if I was going to tell it from my perspective, it would be from the perspective of a preacher, right? Because that's what I do, and I still see it happen. I still see people that are actually gifted, but they try to run around and promote themselves. Now, I, I did the same thing when I was real young in the Lord, and then I quit because I figured out it doesn't work, and it annoys the ministers that have been around for a long time. You think I'm kidding, but I'm not. It really annoys them because they've been at it for years, and it, they, it, it feels like this little whippersnapper is trying to get in and, and, and glom on to what we've worked at and plowed out for years. Um, and it's not that that's always the case. A lot of times, like for me, it was ignorance and zeal, but it wasn't malicious. But that doesn't change the fact that they were right in shutting me down. You know what I mean? I needed to grow in areas, um, and it took me time to do that. Uh, there is no substitute for seed time and harvest. And there is no, uh, you know, if you grow too fast in the natural medical the medical field will, it creates a problem. I mean, your, your muscles aren't developed right, stretch marks take place, you know, all of that kind of stuff, and it becomes a problem. Have you ever watched, do you ever have a, a friend or a kid in your class in school and they just grew like, like uh, just way too fast? <laughs> um, and if that happens, it can cause problems medically because you're not growing at an even pace. Well, the same is, the same is true in the spirit. Now, we do have control over our growth to a degree by obedience right by obedience if we obey we can grow faster we can develop faster a lot of times people don't realize this but paul took 14 years to become a minister roughly 10 to 14 10 to 14 years from the time he was saved did paul have knowledge of the known bible at that time he probably knew it better than most of the Christians at that time. I mean, especially the, the Gentile Christians as that began to open up. That wasn't enough. He had to spend time with the Lord and wait on the Lord and grow and develop. And he had to let some of his old reputation die out. Just the truth, right? Um, some of what I'm experiencing right now in my own life, like as far as having uh, people in my life that were in my life when I was first saved, some of those friends have come back around, and now I actually have some level of voice in their life. But it took 20 years. Now, could it have taken less? Well, I suppose. The Lord hasn't revealed the timeline I should have taken. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just know we're on one. <laughs> But it's taken that much time, and the reason why is because they knew me before, which was my fault. You understand? Okay? Because I made the decisions I did. Well, it's the same in the spirit with any church, anything else. We have purpose to hit base hits. 
I preached this a long, long time ago, okay? But I used to want to have home runs every service. You don't have home runs every service. Farmers don't have home runs every time they plant. It's not like, wow, did you see how fast and You know, we as naturally thinking, we want the miraculous more than the steady. But did you know the steady is stronger? The children of Israel died in the wilderness, but they seemed like they had a whole lot, you know, a lot of miracle manifestations than when the next generation went into the promised land. Like it probably was more frequent and a little more exciting because of whatever. But God's intended purpose with the children of Israel was to go into the promised land and not have to have manna fall out of heaven. They were just going to take over the houses and lands and food and fields and everything of what was already established. All they had to do was serve God and tend the fields and take care of the houses. That was God's intended purpose. So we got to be careful that we don't uh, get impatient in these things. And then when the move of God does come and it is overwhelming, how do we navigate that? How do we navigate it? Where, where do I keep, if it seems like uh, that, that the church, because <laughs> at every stage of this church, it's, it's wonderful, but at every stage of this church, even when we were like... We'd come to church, and these two rows was it. So Heidi would, and my kids would have to move over here. This was it. That's how the church started. Do you remember the first service? We had like 60 people. Because I had friends in the city, and they're like, we're coming to support you. The next service, I think we had 11. I mean, with the kids. I mean, the kids were the big part of the church. The adults were the small, but you know, you release everybody after worship. We did that then. But we release everybody after worship, and it was just like us, you know, sitting there looking at each other, you know. <laughs> and when you have five, six adults, and you're teaching the word, and you're preaching the word, how do you do it? You do it like you have 200. How do you do it any different? And then it just kept building and building. And then when we were at the ranch out there, because uh, we started at the Yellowstone Boys and Girls Ranch, pretty soon our parking began to take over their areas. And we get this pressure of like, oh, we got to find ourselves a building. We got to get out of here. Now, they loved having us there because we did things. We made sure to be a good tenant. You know what I mean? On purpose. We extra did that. We overdid things, which was intentional. We wanted to do it that way. Um, because you want to be a good tenant. You want to be, leave a good taste, in, especially if you're going to be a pastor. You don't want to go around just ruining relationships everywhere. You know, people think it's a bad idea. You know, that's poor business, you know. So, uh, but we began to outgrow that, and then we move in here, and it felt like, you know, we felt fuller in there. But then we moved, when we moved in here, it felt like, uh-oh, now it feels like we're empty. You know, we weren't. You know, you're 75 people, and that's with the kids on a Sunday or whatever. That's pretty good, you know, when you started with 11, you know. But as the Lord keeps going and uh, as what he's done, I mean, even we've had a couple of services here where we've been at with the kids, 240, up around 230. I mean, multiple times in the last year, year and a half or so. 
And so uh, as you continue to go, as you continue to do things, it gets fuller and stronger, but it didn't happen overnight. So what if in all the frustrations of life or all the things that we face in life, what if we would have stopped believing God, stopped believing for the rain, stopped sowing, stopped watering, stopped harvesting, stopped reaching out? Well, we don't have enough money to do that. Let's stretch it. Let's just do it. What if we would have held back? You know, what if we would have not aggressively, what if we wouldn't have done what David, um, David's mighty men did? You know, was it with Jonathan? If they ask us to come up, well, the devil's cocky. So he'll ask you to come up. So you go up and you attack. But what if we would have laid back? What if we hadn't stayed faithful? Now we go to where we are right now. What if we lay back? What if as a minister, I look at, the, look at statistics online and I see what the average a church size is for a pastor and I look and think, well, we've already beat it. I guess I'm done. I guess the victory's over. I guess we accomplish. See, because success for Christians is not defined by the world. It's defined by God. And God will take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I fit that mold. I literally fit that mold. God makes me smart. I make decisions that there's no way I'd be able to make outside of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so do you. But how do we do that? Is it because we're amazing? No. The lower you go the higher he takes you. Now, this is the fun thing about this. That works not only in your purpose, which is not more important than your fellowship. Your relationship with the Lord is more important than your purpose. All right, I'll give you an example. We're praying for rain. Did you know that? (laughs) You say, why why does this stuff have to be shared? Because you'll self-destruct in the rain. Didn't you hear the prophecy? It'll be too much for you If you're not prepared inside, you say, are you sure? Watch Judas. Come on, this morning I'm doing my devotion, or I'm actually, I was looking over my message. I did my devotion for this morning last night. So I could look over my message this morning. I was looking over and the Holy Spirit started speaking to me about like Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. And the Lord said to me, he said, what do you think that was for? I said, what do you mean? I said, he said, you have two rich guys. And what did I ask them to do? Well, one, he asked him to give up everything to follow him, and he said no. And he said that was for that rich, rich young ruler. That was for his salvation, right? He said, but it was also for Judas. And I went, ding. Judas had no excuse. Zacchaeus, in front of him, gave up 50% of his wealth gave it back and Judas saw it didn't he he was there and all these I, I just love the theologians that qualm whether Judas picked to be the rebel or if he's in hell or not and all that he's in hell what do you mean he rejected the Christ He sold him out for what? But he saw Zacchaeus sell out money for 
Jesus. What happens when all the money comes in? What happens when it goes from 200,000 to 400,000 to 600,000 to 5 million? To, guys, I know of churches that are sitting on $30 million. Sometimes more. What are you going to do with that? Because rain produces things for kingdom purposes, but it also, wow, what else is in the ground? Am I pursuing this? These are questions I ask myself. Am I pursuing this because I need to prove somebody wrong? I talked about this before. We're going to watch playoff football today. At least I am. You can do whatever you want. But because I want the Bengals to win. I haven't seen a good Bengals football since Icky Woods. And they had great jokes come out when Icky Woods was a running back for the Bengals. Do you remember that? What do you call it when you throw up in your golf bag? Icky Woods. (laughs) Come on, I was in grade school. That was awesome. I wanted to be Icky Woods, you know? Anyway, okay, sorry. We needed to laugh a little bit there because it's getting a little heavy and we need the seed to settle in. I can't let you get hard, hard-headed on me. <laughs> so <clears throat> um, what do they do? In the, these guys develop in their mind a mindset of I need to defeat the other team. Naturally. Now, this, I'm talking about com- competitive sports. That's fine. You, they study film. They do all of this stuff. Do you know that same mentality carries over into the church? I was at a leadership conference one time for the Assemblies of God. Not against the Assemblies of God. Love them. <coughs> and I was at this leadership conference, and it was a minister's, what they called it, refresh, I think, or something like that. And so I'm listening to this minister preach, and he was talking about uh, people in the church. And he said, if you have a church right across the street from you, and they're doing more than you, he said, treat it like Burger King or McDonald's. Just cook better burgers. What? And I thought to myself, what? I'm competing with the church across the street? I thought my battle was against... And ministers preach this. We have so much success preaching now. It's just a bunch of... A lot of it's just a bunch of worldliness. It's just flesh. It's not even here. Jesus defines success as dying to self. He doesn't define success as as a business dominating everybody else in the area and crushing them under his mighty force as a believer. That is not success. Success is what we... When I was sitting in class and listening to Kenneth Hagin talk about his ministry, he said, I hope you guys all do more than I ever did. Or have done. Now, a lot of this has to do with call and rank and all of that stuff. When you're talking about ministry, I cannot be Kenneth Copeland. I don't want to be Kenneth Copeland. I don't want a ministry like that at all. I mean, it's not in my heart. Do you understand what I mean by that? Not like this is just me. Why? I know I'm called to preach, so I better get all this education and figure out ways that I can advance and become popular. Now, I'm using me as an example, but how do you do it? 
Did you start a ministry or did you start a business because you just believe you can do it better than the guy you work for? Because that's not the reason to do it. There's only one reason to do anything. Especially, I'm talking about four believers. The Lord said, do it. And then do it humbly. Right? And humility is not this world's idea of humility. I'm competitive. Very competitive. I don't like to lose even a little argument. <laughs> Those of you that know me know. The staff knows, <laughs> you know, and so those that know, I don't like to lose at anything, but, we, but where is my competition at? That's, the, that's, the, that's a natural thing in me, okay? But where's my competition at? My fight is in the spirit against the enemy, so you are not my competition. Pastor Gale's not my competition. Pastor Abe Manninger's not my competition. Pastor uh, Danny Hood's not my competition. Pastor Nathan Wetzel's not my, or Nathan uh, Petzel. Did I say Wetzel? I know a Nathan Wetzel. And I know a Nathan Petzel. Yeah, I do. Nathan Wetzel was a basketball player. Uh, all right, anyway, not in the NBA, just somebody I know. Okay, so <laughs> that's funny. It's not the Baptist church. Am I in competition?